Welcome, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome all the screens from all over the world. Another one of those packed stereo TV live programming. You know who we are, citizen journalists, the ones who are out to get the community aware of all the new types of broadcasting. And so here today is another special broadcast at a special time because we can at 6 p.m., Vic. Oh, yes. <laughs> 6 p.m., and we're going live. And I want to thank all the Facebook folks for tuning in and all the other social media. This is a program that is simulcast throughout. Vic, we, before we get started with our wonderful show, yes, I'm just acknowledging the streams that we have here. Live stream, you stream, yes. Twitter, Periscope. Yes. Uh, big old live, live.me, um, Periscope, Twitter, and I know I'm forgetting, Facebook. And fa- so Facebook, everybody, welcome to all the social media. <laughs> all the social media. Give them up media. another clap. <laughs> Gotta do that because they not as a fan base. Thank you. All right, all right. You know, today, today is a very special day because it's wonderful to be able to get the kind of folks that we're actually attracting. Remember, we our goal, movers and shakers, is to inspire you by exposing you to the human stories that are real. Don't have to add a whole lot of fluff to them. The human stories about people just like you and me or people we know who are going about doing things in this world today. Today we have Alan Santana. Let me tell you about it. First of all, you have to acknowledge his history as a boxer. Okay, but he's a local boy now, but you got to acknowledge that history of a boxer because that thread goes through his life story as he was, was an athlete and then went on to become a commentator and an anchor. But as you'll find out, as I have recently found out, so much more sides to individuals like this. Everybody give it up for our guest, Alan Santana. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, Alan, uh, tell me a little bit about... Uh, well, first of all, was I correct? I started out by saying I had to define you by so much, at least initially, that picture that they get as a boxer. I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I was, as like when I came into this world, but, you know, and, and, and I've recently written a book that's going to be coming out in about another month, okay? And the stories in the book, how I've come into the world, my, I was born in six months, six months premature, actually, and my mother had fallen out of the vehicles. My father was making a left turn uh, in L.A., Wow. And I literally, fell, she fell out of the car, uh, went into uh, into labor. So I was born in a general hospital up in East L.A. Where I trained. And by the way, in that day and age, that was a miracle. Yes, it was. To do the wow. So at six months old, you got to think about that. I literally had to fight my way, you know, fight through this to stay alive. And uh, my father, we talk about this every now and then. He says, you know, you're fortunate that you survived. Wow. Uh, they, you know, they don't have all. They didn't have all the, all the apparatus, the tools, and things they have. You know, in hospitals today, and the technology. So I was very fortunate to survive at six months uh, premature. L.A. County Hospital. Now, what what city were you born again? In Los Angeles. Wow. Uh, we say we say East L.A. Born in East L.A. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So they'll tell the boxing started about eight years of age. Started fighting at eight years old. Uh, I was bullied as a little kid. And I got fed up with it, as most kids do. And so I went home, asked my father to teach me how to defend myself. And uh, lo and behold, he was a professional fighter. 
and I didn't know that because he never we never talked about it. At eight years at eight years old you don't think about those things anyways but uh, I didn't it didn't I didn't realize that until later on in life but uh, my father went out bought me some boxing gloves and uh, it, I just took to it learned how to defend myself and I was kind of into my prob- problems of being bullied well first of all let me give you props for the boxing thing because <laughs> We tried to box the gloves when I was a kid, but once I got hit in the nose, it was over. It was over. It was over. It was, we, it was over. Everybody was getting mad and getting ready to throw things. But then you went on. Now, let me just say, you earned a spot as a member of the California USA boxing team. Yes. So you you really boxed. I fought. I had well over 200 amateur fights. I trained in Carson at the old Fabella Chavez Boxing Center. Uh, and originally I started out in Long Beach down in Seaside Gym, which is a great gym back in the day. Jake Chagru owned the gym, and he was, a, he was a character. You walk in this gym, the guy has a cigar in his mouth, okay, has a wooden leg. He's an old Navy guy, so you kind of get the picture. But he was a great place to go and train. Uh, guys like Mondo Ramos trained there. Uh, a lot of great fighters came out of Seaside Gym. And then as I, turned, uh, as I got a little older, I started training in the city of Carson, was introduced to the Bella Chavez through my father, and uh, again, just took to it. I love the gym and spent a lot of my days training in Carson out of Fabella Chavez Gym. 20-year boxing career. Twenty, Yeah, 20-plus 20, 20 years. <laughs> wow. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, uh, had, like I said, I had an extensive amateur career. I had well over 200 fights. Like I said, I was a member of the USA California boxing team, which is which was great in itself. A lot of fun. Uh, I was on a team when Paul Gonzalez was there. Paul Gonzalez was a 1984 Olympic gold medalist. He's a dear friend of mine. Henry Tillman was on the team. Uh, Hector Lopez was on the team. Paul Benke was on the team. So a lot of top-notch fighters, amateur fighters. Those guys are great guys. I want, want to give a shout-out to those guys if they're listening. Paul, want to say hello to you. Uh, Paul Benke, my buddy, hello out there. And uh, So, again, enjoyed that. You know, I fought as an amateur up until I was 27 years old. And the reason that it happened, I delayed turning professional, was because my original trainer had passed away on all of a sudden. And the fight games, it's a shady business. I didn't trust anybody, and so that's one of the reasons I, I kind of put turning professional off. My father introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Earl Beebe, who had been in the fight game for over 50 years. And so when I met him, I mean, he was 87 years old at the time. <laughs> I decided to go ahead and sign with him, and he managed my career, and he was a great guy to as I have as a manager. So you had a successful boxing career. Well, was you, and you don't look physically injured by it. Uh, no, Alan, I, you, know, you know a lot of people are these days, they right, are, Alan? They are. Uh, you know, you get a lot of effects that come on later in life. You a lot of guys either they they have speech impediments. You know, they have um, dementia. You know, Muhammad Ali is a perfect example right. of what happens when you fight too long. Right. Uh, I was fortunate. And you got to remember back in the day fighting, we, we, we came up in an era when you didn't have headgears. Okay? That's right. That's right. That's you were supposed to, and we didn't think in those days that concussions had any kind of prolonged. No, we, you didn't think about that. You just kind of got in the ring and you did what you had to do. You never thought about concussions. You didn't think that you were actually putting yourself, uh, your life on the line when you stepped into a boxing ring. And, uh, you know, now, now looking back, I would still do it, but I might be a little more cautious. You know, when you're young, you're, you're invincible pretty much. So now, you know, now looking forward, you know, we go, you know, 20, 30 years forward and you hear about the NFL and concussions and things that are going on there. Right. 
But the, the funny thing, and it bothers me a lot, is they never bring up professional fighters. You don't hear about professional fighters and the injuries that You're they You're exactly suffer. right. Right, because, okay, let's face it, Alan. The goal is to give the other guy a concussion, right? It is. It's to knock him out. <laughs> it's to knock him out. That's the way we came up. It's like even football. <laughs> I was taught to put my forehead on those well, numbers. I put it right in your chest. Right. That's the way we were trained. Nowadays, that's considered insanity, right? Right. No, because we've learned so much. I wonder about that because I've had experience like you. I played middle linebacker, and you box. You understand it, and you then you still have your history, and you loved the sport. Right. Sort of the the gladiator aspect of it, kind of was part of the whole glorious part of the integrity, kind of. I guess. I think when again when you fight, you know, and you're a professional fighter, even as an amateur, when you step into a boxing ring, there's no other feeling like it in the world. I mean, it's hard to explain. And then when you have people yelling your name out, which I got to experience a little bit of that, it's a great feeling. And uh, again, if you've never experienced it, I, I don't even know how to tell people the, the feeling. I always tell people that was my first love. Boxing was my first love. And to this day, it still is. I mean, and I've been married for 30, 31 years. I have a wonderful wife at home and four beautiful children. They're all grown up now. But uh, boxing was always my first love. And you know, love my wife to death. And my kids, but there's just something about that that, it, again, it's inexplainable. And so, the tide rises, the tide falls. Yes, it does. And inevitably, even the best of us, right? Even the best of us as athletes have a day. One day, Tiger Woods, the swing is not quite the same. Or no. These are the things that happen to all of us. So, Alan, that happened to you. It happens, you know. I, I was uh, it was unfortunate. It had an accident, and you know when I when I stepped into the ring originally at 27, I had a, a lot of naysayers say you're too old. You know, you've been around for a long time, but they didn't realize even at 27, I didn't look 27 years old. I probably looked well, like I mean, 19. I got, a, I got a picture somewhere. <laughs> I got a picture somewhere. There you go. Because <laughs> the first thing I said, I had to say it. Not insulting. I said, "Pretty boy." <laughs> yes, what I said. Back man. in the day, you know, yeah, that's yeah. pretty boy. Yes, you know, boom. You know, got the hair. <laughs> so I said, "Okay." So, but you know, yeah, you 27. Yeah, I was 27. That picture was probably taken when I was 28, 27 years old, right there. And uh, I didn't look my age. I never looked my age at that point. But I just wanted to prove that I could still fight. And I didn't fight because I, it, was, it was never a, a necessity for money or anything like that. My, fa my father was a contractor. And we were well taken care of kids. We grew up in a, a wonderful environment. I had wonderful parents. You know, my father's still alive today. And I'm fortunate to have him in my life at 80. He'll be 83 years old in September. So, there you go. Great, great guy. My mother, you know, unfortunately she passed away about 20 years ago, but she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. And like I said, having just that environment to grow up in where you have both of your parents there when you come home from school and, you know, they teach you the ins and outs of life and, you know, how you, how you need to do things to be able to get through life. It was wonderful. So having that father figure for you helps you have a plan B because all the time I'm sure that you were pursuing boxing, he had you working on some other Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just was guessing. Nah. I just guessed. Let me guess. I spent many days with shovels in my hand. You know, I, went to college, I was going to college at the time, and, and I noticed my dad. He was you know, a hardworking man. He had started his paving company uh, in his 20s, actually, his late 20s. 
And, and I saw how hard of a worker he was, you know, and, and he provided for us very well, like I said. And so he had, and it was his own company? It was his own company. He literally had been in business for 50 years. He just recently closed his company down after 50 years. Wow. And I started my company 27, 28 years ago. Wow. You know, again, I didn't piggyback off of my father. My father is a very stern man, you know, didn't give me, didn't give me anything. What he did is showed me, showed me how to do things to be able to get through life, which I appreciate, you know, dearly. And so I went to him one day, I was probably 20, again, 27, said, let's, let me, let's jump into business together. And he said, no, start your own company, which, prob- which was probably the best advice you could give me. So, yeah, I've been a successful paving contractor for the past 27 years. Oh, there you go. Now, look at that. Now, I'm not, and yet, I guess, don't miss the point that he said he loved boxing, never stopped loving boxing. Because part of the whole idea of the mover and shaker is to set aside what you define as success in your life. Right, Alan? Because right. here's your life. We talked a little bit about Because you, your boxing career came to an end. Abruptly. But, <laughs> but you were not at a loss because of dues you had paid, I guess, a lot earlier. That's true. You know, I was fortunate to get back into the, the, the fight game and the fight business, I should say, as a commentator. I've been a commentator for the last couple of years here up and down in California working with my partner, Donald DeNoyer, who is a wonderful, wonderful ring announcer. He's probably one of the best in the business. And uh, he uh, he's worked on ESPN. He's worked with uh, um, Tuesday Night Fights. But he's a great, great announcer. He's got that beautiful voice. So we hooked up, and we've been working for about two years now up and down the coast. And you've had some success as the North American coordinator for the World Boxing Foundation. Let me yes. try so I think we have some pictures <laughs> of that one, too. Yeah, let me... Oh yeah, definitely. Tell us a little bit. Tell us to come on now, Alan. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about this. You know, I was approached by a gentleman uh, in Mexico, and he said, "Would you like to, you know?" And I'll go be. I'll go start back to go back to how I got into this. Anyways, I was working with the World Boxing Fa- uh, Foundation, which is uh, located in Australia. They came to me and said, "Hey, would you you like to work with us as a supervisor in North America?" So I did that for a couple of years with them, and then. I decided to go over to the World Boxing Foundation. Was there as a North American president with that organization for about two and a half years. Now, how did you? I, I'm, okay, and that's a shortcut because yes, to go. Okay, that's I gotta know because you come from that working kind of background. You come in as a boxer. How do you move up within those kind of organizations? To get people to recognize you, Alec, because that's a kind of a big deal. Those are your peers. You know, I, I, I think that all goes back to integrity and honesty. It really does, because in the, the fight game is very shady, as we all know. And when I got into that uh, line of work, if you want to call it work, I don't even call it work. I call it it's, it's something that I truly love. And there's no better job in the world than when you can get paid for doing something that you love to do. Oh, right on. You know, so I, I've been fortunate to uh, have, a, I have a good reputation in the business, in the industry. I've been fortunate to travel around the world because of uh, being an international boxing judge. And I should be working a title fight coming up in September. I just got a call to work a fight in September in uh, probably Mexico City or something. We're not quite sure where that's going to be, but it will be in Mexico. That's so wonderful, again, to get recognized by your peers. What about yours? What about you and MMA? You So tell me how you, well, I, I, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have an opinion on it. 
Uh, MMA, you know, I, and I'm going to tell you, originally I didn't have any respect for MMA fighters because I felt that it was just a street brawl. And once I sat down as, at ringside as a, as a commentator, I was at some fights in Northern California, uh, uh. and once you sit there and you actually you get to see these guys up close and personal, it's like this, the ring's right there, okay, With, within a foot of the cage. And you see these guys, and you see the the agility they have, the just the art that's involved with MMA. It's there's an art form there, and there, and then I started to res- gain a lot more respect for these guys because I saw the punishment they were taking. Also, you know, being a professional fighter is tough enough when you have boxing gloves coming at you, but these guys had knees, elbows, you know, legs, everything, you know, forearms uh, coming at them, and to be able to sustain. You know the or to take the punishment and to do what you do. Uh, like I said, I had a lot. I uh, I had a different outlook uh, on the sport once I sat there and I really saw what they were doing firsthand. Well, Victor <laughs> and I were talking about this. So oh we man, know you're we have Victor. Go on, Victor. <laughs> look, I said, look, I, I waited for this one. I said, okay, first of all, we're gonna touch everything. Your opinion. The popularity and the toughness of MMA versus boxing, and I want to use the example to get your th- your eye on the Conor McGregor Mayweather fight. I, I can't knew wait. That was <laughs> you know, I was waiting for this one. I need to get it from yeah. you because yeah, you, you have a right. that preamble. Right. Yeah, right. You, you, well, you know what? And, and I get it's funny because I get this quite. I've gotten this question and I've heard this question repeatedly. What's what's my thoughts on the Conor McGregor Mayweather fight? You know, personally, and this is just me. I think that when and you got to look at this from uh, a perspective of a professional fighter. You know, giving his opinion. And again, it's just my opinion. When you have a guy that's an MMA fighter like Conor McGregor, he's a champion, okay, and he. I, he has really no experience in boxing. And then you look at Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather, you know, he's going to try to go for that 15-0 fight. With Are the you a team driver with a provisional oh, driver's license? Sorry. And what happens there, I just feel that, first of all, the fight should have never, ever been sanctioned. Mm. That's my honest opinion, especially as a supervisor and a coordinator for, for, for a uh, sanctioning body. That fight should have never been sanctioned, but there's so much money involved in it. And you got to remember, this isn't going to happen in Vegas. It's big, big, you're, big money. You're talking over a billion dollars. Wow, I didn't know it was that big of money. It's that big. It's that big. And so when you look at that, okay, I, uh, Mayweather, uh, I, he could, he's going to school McGregor. End of story. I don't think they're even in the same ballpark, the same zip code, to be honest with you. So now, if they went, uh, you know, let's say mano mano, and they're doing MMA, in maybe one round of MMA and the next round of boxing, McGregor has a hell of a chance to beat him. But because of Mayweather's boxing skills and his superior superiority and his ring gentlemanship, there's no way that McGregor is going to touch him. He's going to play mm. with them. It's like wow. a, it's like a man schooling a little boy. Are you going to be watching? <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I, I, I've said no But I will watch I, I'm sure I'm going to watch I said I wouldn't pay to watch But, but I'm sure I will watch it Let me ask the, you The whole world's going to watch Let me ask you something Yes Mario I need you to be the example For a moment Could you Just for the sake of just, I just want to be able Because I know this is it's a, big, it's a big thing I want Mario to be 
Conor McGregor and you're Mayweather and you're standing you say, and, and, and say, this is the mistake or the advantage, uh, say, from Conor McGregor's position. Right. What will he have to do? And, and, and usually it's how you... Uh, I don't I, know if I can do this. Video. Yeah, I, mean, I, I just want to be able... I just want to be able to... Yeah, just don't hit it. That's it, an approach when they <laughs> line up. You got to remember, okay, when, when for, for, for Mayweather, okay, right. he's a superior boxer. McGregor's an MMA fighter. They, MMA fighters really don't have too much boxing skill. Right, right. Because they're thinking... Their feet, legs, hands, okay? There's, right. There's no real boxing skill there. So what... what my, this is just me. I think Mayweather's going to pick him apart all day long. He's going to jab him. You know, he's going to bob and weave. When you try to come in, all I'm going to do is step aside. I'm going to sidestep you. You know. And what I'm, penalties I'm are there if he suddenly has a flashback and kicks him? <laughs> <laughs> fight's over. If, if they do it right, fight's over. Or he'll probably get warned. And because he that, could get pissed. You know, he sure, could get that, pissed, and you know. That's a definite scenario. Uh, that could happen. Elbow. I think that, that could happen. You know, if, if McGregor loses his cool and fighting a Mayweather, you will lose your cool. Mayweather, like I said, he's done. Oh, and the Mayweather, wait, they, can, they can all go crazy and end up like a brawl. <laughs> so if you, if you lose your cool, you know, McGregor's, he, he's apt to maybe body slam him. And somebody says that might happen. You know, we don't know. It could happen. Wow. Wow, that's what I need. Can we prove it, Dick? Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? Because it's it's an education for me. It's it's an it's an e- it's an education for me because the first thing I started thinking about was uh, exactly the the things that you start talking about because Mayweather is more defense. He tends to like to be more defense, and so that means Connor has no other choice but to be aggressive. I assume. Right. And if you were training him, if, if you knew that you had to coach him against Mayweather, what would be your first suggestion that, it, with little chance, how would you approach telling Conor McGregor to get an advantage, if any? Well, he's not, I don't think he's going to have an advantage, but what I would do is tell him, look, you've got to, everything, everything as a fighter comes off of a jab. You work everything off of your jab. So I would tell him, look, feint the jab, you know, try, feint it. Try to pop a right hand in there. Do what you have to do. Stay away from him. If you have to try to become a boxer, which again, McGregor's not a boxer; he's an MMA yeah, fighter. You can't, how, you, how fast can you make him a boxer? You can't. You can't. That's you something can't. that you're, you're not going to learn that overnight. No. You know, most any 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 guys that have been professional fighters that have made it to the upper echelons of, of boxing, they usually start boxing at six, seven, eight years old. It's just mm. something you do. Wow, wow. You don't you don't pick that up in three months. Former boxer, former president of the World Boxing Foundation, sports anchor, commentator. So tell me about the book. <laughs> Thanks for asking. I, you know, being in professional sports and being around sports all my life, you, you hear of athletes going broke every single day, whether it's boxers, football players, baseball players. And I was at a point where... You know, again, thinking back in the gym when I would go, when I was training back in, you know, my fight days, I saw many guys, even Michael Dokes, Michael, Michael Dokes hung around the gym. He was broke, broke. Mm. I saw many, many guys going broke and you think, okay, what's going on there? And it was, you know, when you think about fighters, first of all, most fighters, they're not very educated. I'm not putting anybody down. That's just the honest truth. A lot of fighters, when you look at their backgrounds, they're, they're trying to fight their ways up fight their way out of out of maybe a, a bad neighborhood 
maybe fight their way out of a, a situation where they don't have any money and they're hoping that they're going to fight and, and make Which money. Which is so different from you. How wonderful, Alan. I guess that's where you can even see that you had that grounded. Yes. You had yes. that grounded situation that you came from. And most of them are not coming from that. No, no. So you, you, they don't have that. You know, a lot of times you see a lot of fighters, again, one-parent families, maybe some mother raising their son. And you're in the inner cities where, uh, in the inner cities, a lot of poverty. So these kids literally grab on the boxing, hoping, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to fight my way out of this situation. So I wrote this book. The title's uh, called Unprotected. Okay, the name of the book's Unprotected, Bo- Boxing Business and Life. I wrote the book in the hopes of being able to educate uh, young kids, even adults, about the ins and outs of sports in general. I wrote it as a former boxer, but I wrote it so that it it could transcend any sport. It doesn't matter if it's boxing or baseball. It doesn't matter if you want to, you know, go into business. I wanted to give somebody, it's like a Bible almost. this This is what a contract is. This is what a manager's role is. This is how you dress. This is how you speak. You know, this is how you act. This is how you incorporate yourself. If you want to go into business, this is what you need to do. So that's why I wrote the book. You know, I have to admit, Vic, that sounds like a perfect ongoing internet television. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Which I'm kind of shocked. Have you even entertained for an anchor. doing a show, or have you been approached where he says, "Look, here's the idea. This is what we want to do." Have that been broached? I- I have been approached by Fox Sports uh, while I was in Atlanta, and we're actually in talks, or I shouldn't say we're, a gentleman by the name of Eddie Harris, who works for Fox Sports, is actually in talks trying to negotiate a show for me right now. Okay. And so there, I've had numerous opportunities come my way. We just haven't really taken advantage of anything. And wow. again, the, the possibility, there's a lot of possibilities. Speaking to my publicist, Beatrice Davis, who's in Chicago, she has actually said, look, you need to approach one of the local TV stations or the cable stations and try to see if you can put your own, have your own show put on the air. Yeah. So, there's, you know, there's possibilities there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, it's the kind of thing, too. He's the he's kind of cat who could, you know, dress up, sit at home. Right. And read and, you know, try to, you know, relate chapter one, you know, first part of that. Right. To you in a video. And it's the kind of stuff, it's the kind of stuff where... We, where I kind of started too, delivering your own stuff to a video audience. You kind of have, you know, you kind of have the persona already. So at least you ain't start from zero, brother. Okay, you're an anchor, so you have that ability. You know, it, it's just an interesting idea to think about you telling the story of that book. Just as that kind of a figure. Yeah, the possibilities are there. I think for me, you know, for me, most important that when the book comes out, I will donate books to schools because I see this going into schools as an educational tool. Mm-hmm. I will. Uh, we're yeah. talking about traveling, you know, into different schools. I do a lot of stuff for the schools locally in Los Angeles. Again, I think it's just being able to give back. I, I, you know, I don't want anything in return for that. But what I want to do is be able to get the book into the hands of kids and parents so that they can educate themselves. I think those are they're very important tools that I speak about in the book or that I've written about. We said that. You said the three most important things in your life were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a fighter moment right now. <laughs> the book, I think you said, and the kids. Well, boxing. Kids, kids and boxing. Boxing. Yes, I think just boxing. Box, you know, boxing yeah. is important to me. Kids are important to me. I see 
as I've gotten older, I've realized that there's, you know, when you go into the schools in the inner cities, you see there's a lot of need there. Uh, even our own kids growing up, they, you know, they went to school in Fountain Valley, the Fountain Valley School District. And even there, it's a little more affluent area. And you see where uh, the schools are still asking, reaching out to parents, hey, can you get us paper? Can you get us pencils? Because they're underfunded. You know, one of the problems in California, it's an, it's an underfunded, the schools are very underfunded in the state. There's not enough money to go around. Amazing. Mm. You know, when you look at a man like yourself, again, so accomplished in so many areas, I have to ask you because you are essentially a role model. And one of the things that even as a successful man is you got to deal with a wife. You have a family. Yes. I don't know if you have kids. Four, uh, four kids. Four kids. So wow. one of the points I bring up always is that no matter what you do, your lifetime struggle is going to be to merge your personal life with your work. With the, juggling you, the juggling act. <laughs> How are you doing it, Alan? Because you seem to be, and I, again, I just met you today, you seem to be a person who seems to be balanced and fairly happy about what you're doing. So speak to the folks about that balance and how you manage those priorities. You know, for me, family, again, is very important. I've been married for 31 years. We just had our uh, 31st anniversary in June. And I'm married to a wonderful, wonderful lady, uh, Anna Marie, you know, who I love dearly. Uh, we've raised four children together. And I always joke and say, she raised the four children because I was always out traveling. Even back in the day, I was traveling and busy and running a company and being involved in boxing and all the other crazy things that I've done in my life. But I uh, give her, you know, a lot of props and we, we joke about that, but you know, and when you look at kids, kids today, I think they, they need that structure, they need guidance, and we were able to, to do that, and, you know, again, it was a balancing act, a juggling act for me, and, and today it's still a juggling act, even though my daughter, you know, we have, we have Victoria, who's the oldest, she's 27, Austin and Andrew, who are twins, they're identical twin boys, they're wow. 21, wow. and our youngest son, Aaron, who just graduated from high school, uh, and is on his way to college. But it, it's a juggling act. You paid, well, you paid both of you. Both of you, Wonderful. Again, I think you, you have to balance business. You have to balance your family time. And, and again, I love spending time with my family. It's uh, something I like for, look forward to on the weekends is spending time with the family and being able to have dinners together. We, you know, we, we sit down usually on Sundays and everybody gets together and we have a family dinner, which is nice. So it's kind of something you look forward to as a father. Balance, everyone. One of the things that you're involved with of late is the No Teen Writers. Let's take a look at the page. I think I have it right here. Tell us about, oh, let me, let's play the video. But you're actually breaking the law. Are you a teen driver with a provisional driver's license? Do you know and understand the law? You may think you're being nice when you give your friends a ride in your vehicle, but you're actually breaking the law. In many states, the law prohibits you from carrying anyone inside your vehicle unless you've driven for at least one year without any infractions, or you've reached the age of 18. That's why, at No Teen Riders, we've created a helpful solution. By installing a bright yellow license plate frame and decals on your car, you'll be able to identify yourself as a teenage driver. This will help you resist the temptation of letting any of your friends ride with you. Best of all, we donate 30% of sales back to high schools. 
No Teen Riders, saving lives one teen driver at a time. To learn more, contact us today. Wow, first rate site. Tell us about this now, Alan. You know, I came up with this idea eight years ago. My cousin, Sean Chapa, who lived in uh, Kentucky, my, my uh, cousin, his mom, they had moved there to Kentucky. And one Saturday, early Saturday morning, my father calls me. And it's probably about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. He says, your cousin was killed in an automobile accident in Kentucky. And that wow. just, it, it hits you hard. And so he was 16 years old. It was a Saturday, early morning, probably 1 o'clock in the morning, midnight or something like that. They lost, he lost control of the car that he was operating. He was driving. He had two other of his friends in the car with him. So all three of these teenagers died. They were 16 years old. And, you know, you have to stop and think about that and, and think about the effects of, you know, what it did to the parents, you know, financially what it did to the parents, mentally what it did to the parents. And then you have to look at these teenagers. They, they were just barely beginning their lives. 16 years old is way too young to have to perish. And so I decided that I wanted to do something about it. And I was out, we were out late one night dinner with our friends, and they got a phone call. So the police had pulled over the daughter, pulled all the kids out of the car. She had just gotten her license. And that's when I said, you know, we've got to do something about this. So I went home that night. The logo that you see, the license plate frame, I literally drew that up. Uh, overnight. Take a look, everybody. Well, you know, and just to let, for your own information, in, in other countries, <laughs> yes, teenagers don't drive. No, there's a bunch of countries where you're either 18 or even 21. In some instances, because you're allowed to drive. It's only in the U.S. It's interesting because some folks can wait to send their kids on errands. <laughs> and other kids, and other parents I know, are trying to pay off the people so they can fail the test. <laughs> is there a way I can bribe them? Is there failing my child? <laughs> you, you know, part of the thing too, Alan, is that it's another area for me where it represents we no longer invest in society. You and I came up in high school. I went to public schools here in Los Angeles. And I had driver's education and driver's training as part of my curriculum that was offered at the regular public school, which is why we also learned driving etiquette, right? <laughs> which seems to be missing. <laughs> you know, it's another area where I, I'm so longing for the good old... That's one of the areas. <laughs> of the, because we at least invested in the concept of training drivers. I think, with, especially with the amount of accidents and teens, number one drug is alcohol. <laughs> That's true. You know, again, when you look at these teenagers, you're handing the keys to an uh, inexperienced driver. It's 16 years old. I, I saw a friend, Pat, put a post up on Facebook many months ago. I said, hey, here's your happy birthday. Here's the keys to your brand new, it was like a GMC uh, uh, vehicle. And they said, go out and have a good time. I said, oh, my God, they, you know, they're, they're sending the wrong message out. You don't want to hand keys to a teenager that has no driving experience to say, go have a good time because you're sending the wrong message out. I think that before you do that, you really have to stop and think, you know, this vehicle wastes a, a ton and a half in most cases. It's a killing machine. Yeah. And if you, every, every single day in this country, six to eight teenagers will lose their lives in automobile accidents because the teenage driver is breaking the law by carrying his friends in the car with him, him or her. And they, again, they don't stop and think. You know, when you're 16, 17, even 18, you're invincible. And you will break the law. That's right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Take a look at the website, everybody. There's something to think about. It's really something. I, and I, with today's, with the issues that are going on, it's really something to think about, especially when it deals with the maturity of the individuals at the time that they're starting. That's always been my problem. Every 16-year-old, some are 16 going on 30, and some are 16 <laughs> going on 12. That's true. <laughs> okay. That's true. I want to thank our guest, Alan Santana. Alan, anything you, I mean, you have a bunch of these things. Any take-home message? Because you have, as I say about talented people, you have multiple projects and various stages of development, and you're doing so much. Yeah, you know, I, I do have a lot going on. I was fortunate, we, one thing we didn't touch, I was fortunate to recently uh, be in a movie. Uh, as, uh, yeah. I had a role oh, as a there we go. Yeah. And I want to give out a shout to Vince Romo, who's the lead actor in that movie. The movie's called Mo, uh, Mundo. And it's a story about Ramon Mendoza, who was actually in the drug, he was one in the drug cartel, the Mexican mafia. It's a very uh, touching story. It talks about res- you know, how people are resilient, how you can change your life and turn it around. So I was fortunate to be to have a small part in that. Role. Had you acted before, though, Alan? Had you acted? Because see, that's why I love this. Already, you see that he's branching out again. Right. Had you acted before? I actually had an agent in Hollywood for twenty plus years. His name was George J. He was my agent for over twenty years. Wow. And I was so busy again, being living life and being a contractor and doing everything else I was doing that I really didn't have time to step into that arena and I always wanted to do that so now I'm getting to fulfill that uh, let's say my dream and one of the things I can check off on my bucket list is actually going in and getting behind the camera being in front of a camera I should say and acting well I, th- I think he's a natural Vic what do you think uh, I gotta ask him a question because I always say there's something that's always a second life if you had it and had the option if you wasn't a boxer what sport would you be in <laughs> That's not a loaded question. Right? <laughs> no, it's not, no, 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 man. Well, you know, when, growing up, I loved baseball. I played baseball as a kid. I was, uh, I loved playing tennis. I, I actually loved to bowl. I grew up in a bowling alley, so it, right when on. I was a kid, I looked at, you know, did I want to continue bowling? And, and I was a fairly good bowler, and or did I want to go and, you know, go into a bowling career, a boxing career? I chose boxing, and I, I love bowling. Look at that, he's considering a professional <laughs> bowler. He would have been one of those guys on the show, like at Channel 11. Well, I remember professional bowling, bowling. at Yeah, but you, you, know, you looked at the sport. It was, it was, it was, it's a neat sport. And it's, the bowling's not for everybody. Right. And, and I'm left-handed, so I had that big natural left, left-handed hook. You know, so that, that came natural throwing a bowling ball. But, I, again, I love boxing more than I love Love bowling, you know. And again, if I could choose any sport other than boxing, I would. I would have to say baseball. I love baseball. baseball. You know, yeah. I'm a big time Dodger fan. Got you. Are our Dodgers doing great this year? Man, <laughs> listen. If we had time, man, we go down the list. There you go. Okay, okay. Everybody's got to pick a round. McGregor, Mayweather picked a round. How long does it go? I'd say less than three rounds. Less than three. Less than three. Mario. I think that he's going to get mad and do some dirty <laughs> stuff. He's going to kick him? <laughs> yeah. You might be right. You might be right. I think because, you know, well, I don't know. That's why I was wondering what the rules are relating to penalties of your money. See, I know what you're th- saying. There are no rules. Just, See, that's no. what I was thinking, Alan. Mm-hmm. So that's the, remember, Mario was the one to say this. Okay. I'm predicting that 
Gregor's going to do some dirty stuff, and the question's going to be, what are the financial repercussions for that? Okay. There's right. got to be something in there in case he kicks him in the... Okay, don't say uh, it. Throws a four-off. <laughs> 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 don't, don't say it. Hey, look, I want to do a couple of things here. One is we're gonna, we got some wonderful giveaways, courtesy of Alan, and some stickers. I, I love the way you set this up. Man, I love the way you set this up. I'm I'm definitely, you know what, because... uh, First rate. Websites websites are wonderful, but until you actually see the product, then you realize the work that you put into this. And I come from the nonprofit organization background as well, so to see uh, the materials and how long it took for you to get to this point, it took about seven, eight years to get to this? Seven, eight years, yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's why. Uh, It's important. And I want to also thank Beatrice Davis. Yeah, always shout out, to shout, out shout out. We we talk. She's I, I blinding. She is responsible for all this happening. Yes, and she said some wonderful things about you, and just said, "Oh yeah, sassy gonna, B, yeah, worldwide. sassy B. I love sassy B. Let sassy me give it. She, no, all day, all day. She's a wonderful woman. You got a spirit and an angel behind you, man. Yes, I do. <laughs> I know she cares deeply about what we're doing, and she's yeah. always pushing me. She says, don't get mad. At, you know, Don't take anything wrong. I say, look, I'm not taking anything the wrong way. I need your guidance to get me to where I need to be. Yes, absolutely, man. You know what? You're going to have to uh, come back when you, you know, when you become that movie star, don't forget us, man. Don't forget us. <laughs> no, I will never change who I am as a person. I feel you, man. Good. We've got the links up there, and they'll be part of the pages that we produce. You'll be able to get the links to follow up on Mr. Santana. We certainly suggest you do. Ladies and gentlemen, I guess Alan Santana. Yes, sir. Yeah. Movies are shaking. Local boy. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yes. You're welcome. All right. That's been Movers and Shakers. Pack Stereo TV. The sight, sound, the body, heat, community. Oriented always, citizen journalism. The people you need to know in your own community.